glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Second John, verse 1. The elder unto the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all they that have known the truth, for the truth's sake, which dwelleth in us, and shall be with us forever. Grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth, as we received a commandment from the Father. And now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk after his commandments. I've underlined that statement in my Bible. And in the side note, I've put 1 John chapter 5, verse 3. So this is love, and this is love, that we walk after his commandments. This is the commandment that as ye have heard from the beginning, ye should walk in it. For many deceivers are entered into the world, who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him God's speed. For he that biddeth him God's speed is partaker of his evil deeds. Having many things to write unto you, I would not write with paper and ink, but I trust to come unto you and speak face to face that your joy may be full. The children of thy elect sister greet thee. Amen. What I want to do tonight is just go through, as I said, I've, I've come up with seven different points that break this chapter into pieces, and I've defined them by words of. I'm going to go through and give you the kind of words John is speaking to the elect lady and her children. We dealt with that term when, uh, when we first started going to Second John. I had a man ask me, he said, do you think that elect lady was Mary, the mother of Jesus? Have you ever heard that? And I said, I have no idea. I don't know if it is or not. There's discussion. Is it a literal just a woman? Is it a church? And the Bible doesn't say. I believe the application of the truths that he deals with is the same whether he's dealing with a church and those that the church is one to the Lord or if it's a woman who's raising children for God. It really doesn't matter. The application is the same. Uh, it begins, and as we start, and this is alluded to in the first message, I believe, but in verses 1 and 2, John begins by giving the elect lady and her children, words of confirmation. That's the first point if you're keeping notes, words of confirmation. I find it interesting because in 1 John and 2 John both, the epistles, okay, if you read Corinthians, you're going to find Paul giving the Corinthian church a lot of rebuke. They had a lot of sin in their church. That's not really what you find in 1 John and 2 John. You don't really find people needing a tremendous amount of rebuke. What they are given is a tremendous amount of caution. And there are times in our life where we're on track, but if we're going to stay on track, we need to have some caution about what's coming down the line. As I study Second John, I, and I've said this already, I don't find anything more applicable than to the, the time we're living in than the content of First and Second John. Get into Third John and Jude, the spirit of Antichrist that's in the world. One of the, one of the things I hear, and maybe your spiritual ears don't hear it like mine, but I am so... I'm hearing everywhere that if you are not acceptant of everyone, I'm talking about it's creeping strongly into our churches, if you're not acceptant of everyone as they are, 
you're not loving. Here's what scares me, and I say scares me not in the, the spirit of fear, but it concerns me about the spiritual direction of our churches and a lot of people even among independent Baptists on Sunday. I thought this through. I mentioned to you a visit we had on Sunday. The woman was very clearly new age, and immediately she wanted to talk about unconditional love. There's two people in this town I've met, and both of them have said, I don't want anything to do with what you're passing out. We believe in unconditional love. Now, they're borrowing God's terms, perverting the term, and rejecting God. They do not believe in unconditional love, or they would accept God for who He is. I thought about this today. I thought unconditional love, God is love. And whatever He does is based in His love. So if He opposes you, it's because He loves you. You know why God resists the proud? Because God is love. Do you know why God gives grace to the humble? Because God is love. God is equally truth as much as He is love. And I thought today people, we focus so much on the gospel from the human perspective that God loves us so much that He'll accept you as you are. Now that truth, there's truth in that. He'll accept you as you are if you'll come the way He says. Amen? So that He will not leave you as you are, but change you. But there are those who won't accept God as He is. God is holy, God is righteous, and God says, you come on my terms. The other visit we had on Sunday, this is our discussion. Man says, well, this and that. And I said, well, you have to come to God on his terms. He says, why? I'm not going to do that. I'll come to God on my own terms. I said, well, therein lies the problem. <laughs> amen? And then he continued to say, I have no problem. So rest my case, amen? Uh, therein is the problem. But my point is this. Uh, that is, as John begins to write to these people, and I got off track there just a little bit, he gives them some words of confirmation because they're on track. And I began to say, in the time in which we live, if we're going to stay on track, one might say, why so many words of warning? Because we're living in perilous times. And if we don't understand that spiritually we're living in perilous times, we're going to get blindsided spiritually and end up in trouble. And as we look at Second John, you know what John's doing? There's a bit of negativity. He's positive in his words of confirmation to the people of God, but there's negativity, if you would, in that he's warning deceivers. Many of them are coming into the world, and you've got to be ready for deceivers. Now, I believe this. When you're saved and God has saved you, there is a level of you've exercised trust in God, and there is a purity of heart and conscience that God accomplishes in you and I believe if you're a saved person and God saved you out of sin, you're going to have a difficult time understanding a seducer. If you're not a wolf, a sheep does not understand the way a wolf operates. Because a sheep cannot think like a wolf. A sheep does not see another sheep and think, I want to eat you for supper. A sheep may see another sheep and says, you aggravate me. You're eating the food I wanted to eat and I'm going to headbutt you. But he doesn't think I'm going to eat you, not the grass. So a sheep doesn't think like a wolf. So you know how a sheep becomes aware of a wolf? Number one, God puts an instinct in him that there's danger. But number two, he has to listen to his shepherd. And I believe what John is doing is saying there are wolves. The same thing Paul said in Acts chapter 20. Grievous wolves are going to enter in among you, not sparing the flock. And so you need to take heed. It is so important that we listen to good godly counsel from His Word and from the people God puts in our lives to counsel us for our spiritual protection. There are lives today that are in shipwreck for one reason alone. There were warning signs given when someone was doing well that because they were doing well, they saw no need to listen to the warning signs and got into trouble. 
Amen? The prudence, a prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. And so then John is beginning with, and I'll get back on track here, words of confirmation. He's going to confirm to them there are some things true about you elect lady and your children. So we're talking to two generations of believers here, the elect lady and her children. He says, whom I love in the truth. Immediately, he says, I don't just love, but I love you in the truth, meaning the common denominator, and we dealt with this at the beginning, uh, was the matter of truth. What he's saying is, I believe the truth, and you believe the truth, and therein is the basis of our love for one another. How assuring is it to you when someone else that believed the truth before you uh, is saying, you know what, thank God that you believe the truth. He's confirming to them an assurance that he had about their salvation. You know thus, I understand we don't see people's hearts, but you can see, Paul said he had confidence in people he wrote to that they had believed the truth. And so John continues, right? The elder unto what kind of lady? The elect lady, meaning you are in the elect, not from the Calvinist perspective, but from the biblical perspective. These are people that had been chosen unto salvation through faith in Jesus Christ and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all they that have known the truth, for the truth's sake, which dwelleth in us, and shall be with us forever. So he gives this elect lady and her children some assurance, number one, about their spiritual position, their state. He is assuring her and uh, that of her children, you are obviously in the family of God, you're part of the elect, those that have been born again through faith in Christ. But he's not only assuring them of their own position, but of the, the perpetual nature of the truth itself. He said, I love you, and others who know the truth love you for the truth's sake. Don't miss that, that portion in verse 2. One of the reasons we love one another is for what sake? The truth's sake. You realize he doesn't say we love you for your happiness's sake, but for the truth's sake. Look at Philippians 1.27 with me very quickly. We know this verse, or many do. Look at Philippians 1.27. You see, humanistic love says... You love for the sake of that person's own happiness that there is a, that really at the heart of our motive is, is, is our own happiness. When John says there's a reason to love one another that's greater than selfishness, and it's for the truth's sake, Philippians 1.27, Paul says, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye do what? Stand fast in one spirit, meaning you're holding fast to the truth, with one mind striving together for what? The faith of the gospel. Uh, One of the reasons we know, one of the reasons we see fewer people come to belief in the truth is how successful Satan has been at discrediting the truth. And one of the ways he has been successful at discrediting the truth is getting God's people to walk contrary to the truth. When you and I walk in contrast to the truth, it confuses people. I understand our walk has nothing to do with saving us, but it has everything to do with seeing somebody else saved. And if you want to bear that out, you can read a host of places in the New Testament. Paul wrote especially to the Thessalonians, and he said that his gospel came with power, not in word only, as ye know what manner of men we were among you. Meaning, you believe the gospel because of the way we lived our lives. And I'm so weary of people here today. I saw some discussion 
this week on the internet over alcohol. I never cease to be amazed at people that say they're Christians and you cannot breathe one word of criticism toward drinking without them defending and saying, ah, 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 you cannot forbid drinking. There's no verse in the Bible that says thou shalt not. Number one, they're not reading their Bibles or they're blind to what they're reading. Number two, the goal is not the truth's sake and love for the brethren and love for the lost. The goal is my own personal agenda. And I'm trying to say tonight, yeah, you can be saved and do that, but you are destroying the faith of others. Jesus said, offenses will come, but woe to the man by whom they come. Meaning if we are the source of someone turning away from the truth because we were not living a loving life. Love says, I am willing to say no to myself so somebody else can know and believe the truth. I'm okay doing without some things, I'm even if I have liberty to have them. Paul said, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. What he's saying is, I love God enough, and I love people enough, that I'm more concerned about whether or not they believe the truth than whether or not I get what I like. I can forego preferences even for the truth's sake. John is beginning this epistle that way, saying, you know what? You are people that have believed the truth. The basis of our love is upon the truth. I am assured you're people of truth. I believe he wants to remind them uh, right off the bat who they are in Christ. And then he reminds them, and we have the truth with us always. It's the re- it's an affirmation again of what God has promised down to the ages. Here's, here's what I'm saying. In an age where the world is crying, love, 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 then they turn around and say, but you can't define terms and we don't know what's true. Now, is this new or has this been going on for 2,000 years? It's nothing new under the sun. And what's, been, what's going on today, this matter of, uh, of, of truth and love and the inseparability, was already being dealt with back there in John's day and it's being dealt with even so much more today. And what John is saying is be, you cannot love without a, a firm adherence to the truth. We love you in the truth. We know that you are loyal to the truth and the truth will always have with us. There are even, as I've said before, I hear people who claim to be saved today acting like we don't know what's really true. The best we can do is read our Bibles and take the best shot at it we know how and then just grope on blindly as best you know how. As though we have no light from God. And what John is saying, no, the truth will never go away. Do you know why? It's with us, as we looked at this already in the beginning message, but it's also in us. How can he say the truth is in us? Is he, a, is he a humanist? That's what the woman on Sunday told me. We all have a little light inside of us. We know. And she says, ultimately, people always come back to the light. Boy, I don't know about old Adolf Hitler. <laughs> That's what she said. People always come back to the light. So is John talking from a, when he says us, who's he referring to? Those who have believed the truth of the gospel. Those who are indwelled by the Holy Spirit of God. And so, He gives a word of confirmation, assuring them of their own position in relation to the truth and the position of truth in relation to them. You are of the truth and in the truth and we love you in the truth and we do what we do and love you for the truth's sake and you love us for the truth's sake which dwelleth in us and shall be with us forever. May I say this, you know why you and I need to purpose in our heart to love one another? Because if we don't, how will men know we're his disciples? Love is not a a, a natural the kind of love God's talking about for the brethren. You and I have to decide, I'm going to love the brethren. If they're in the family of God, if there are people who know and love the truth, I'm going to love them. How you have met people 
who love the truth but are not likable people. How many of us have been those people? This is not about like, it's about love. And why do we love one another? For the truth's sake. For the truth's sake. And so he assures them or confirms uh, through assurance their position in relation to the truth and therefore their position in the family of God. The position of truth in relation to them, the truth's sake which dwelleth in us and shall be with us. Here it is. Forever. By the way, do we have the truth today? Yay or nay? How many ideas are there in this world today about what is true? So do we have a standard to say, no, that's not true? Or are we all just kind of on our own? Somebody say, well, the Bible. And you tell me, when you say the Bible is the standard of truth, what's the next words out of a critic's mouth? Which one? Which is it not? And that ought to tell you where all this multiple Bible issue comes from. It's to cast doubt on whether or not we actually have the truth. All right, so he gives words of confirmation, both concerning them, the people he's writing to, and concerning the truth. He's going to get them settled into who they are because of their belief of the truth. And so that's verses 1 and 2. Again, we'll read that. The elder unto the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all they that have known the truth for the truth's sake which dwelleth in us and shall be with us forever. I'll say one more thing before we leave this note. What ought to bind God's people together is their mutual submission to and belief of the truth. That is the glue that binds us together. That's why it's the unity of the spirit, not the spirit of unity. We are not bound together by our mutual personalities. We're not bound together by anything but our, our mutual love and devotion for the truth. Therefore, when he can get Satan, our adversary, can get some of us to become disgruntled, discontented, or disloyal to the truth, you know what he creates? Schism. What you call heresy. You know what heresy is? Teaching that is different than the truth that divides God's people. That's what heresy is. You know what some say today? You King James only people are so divisive. They weren't saying that back in about 1890. You know why? Because the heresy of God's word having been lost in translation somewhere back there was not commonly accepted in churches. It was accepted in halls of criticism of higher learning, but not in Bible churches. Now today, the schism did not come through belief that God had preserved his words. The schism now has come in saying that God has not. Eh? The error is what causes the schism. And so then, and it also will cause those who love the truth to be further united. But words of confirmation. Number two in verse three gives some words of consolation. So in verses one and two, words of confirmation. It confirms that the truth will be with us forever and that they are people that are elect, part of the truth, the truth with them and in them. Number two, words of consolation, verse 3. He says, grace be with you. So he says, you've got the truth with you. And this is a, a, a common greeting. But grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I won't reiterate this because we dealt with this in detail in the first message. But his words of consolation speak of their sufficiency being of God. Grace Mercy and peace, all that from God, the unity of the Godhead, God the Father, and Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. And we dealt with this before. God channels His supply in truth 
and love, and through truth and love. All right. So then number three, verse four, he gives words of commendation. So he's given confirming words, verses one and two, consoling words, verse three, reminding them of the supply of God on their behalf, grace, mercy, and peace. And then in verse four, he commends them. He said, I rejoiced greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth as we have received a commandment from the Father. Now, without becoming uh, wrongfully sarcastic, I believe, based on what John is saying, someone today would charge him with legalism. Why? Why would I say that? What is he rejoicing over? The profession of the elect lady's children or their practice? He said, I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children doing what? Walking in truth meaning living lives consistent with what God's Word says. Right? Let me, let me give you an example. We'll use creation evolution. If I say I believe every word of God is true from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21. Now, who that is a Christian doesn't know that's what you're supposed to say? I mean, are you supposed to say, well, I believe all the words of the Bible except the ones I don't like? Or, I mean, you may criticize, but you know better than to say, I don't believe that verse and that verse and that verse. So I believe Genesis 1-1, Revelation 22-21. But you constantly find me reading and promoting books that teach theistic evolution. And you find me referencing in my preaching uh, men who taught that there is a combination of creation and evolution, that we did evolve and that there's a period of time where evolution took place and then God took what had evolved and, and I began teaching theistic evolution. You say, Pastor, I thought you believed Genesis 1-1. Oh, I do, I do. But you're referencing these books. Do you believe that as well? Would I cause confusion by what I do? And we go on to give example after example, but the fact of the matter is... When we believe something, our actions are supposed to be consistent with that. And John says, here's what I rejoiced. I found your children. I looked at that. I think about that word found. He said, I rejoiced greatly. Not just rejoiced. I rejoiced greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth. This gives me the idea they weren't expecting him to see them. He found them. It'd be like happening on somebody out in public and they weren't expecting to run into you and you found them when they weren't looking for you doing exactly what they're supposed to do. Like children who are home not expecting mom and dad to be home yet and they show up and I found you doing exactly what you're supposed to do. That made me rejoice greatly. You know what John's saying? I found a second generation of people loyal to the truth. Now if that caused him to rejoice greatly, that ought to tell you that is something very important. And I believe it tells us also it's something that's often very rare to find generational faithfulness to the truth. You know why? We as human beings have a tendency to become discontent. Right? What were the people of Athens looking for? Always something new. Something new. I thought today, I thought we are the strangest creatures on earth. We hate change and we love change. When God says don't change, we want to change it. When God says change, we say, oh, but I can't stand change. And what happens is, is when truth, truth doesn't change. And what happens is we say, I want something exciting. I want something new. I got news for you. When it comes to doctrine, that's not happening. Do you realize we have faith that was how many times delivered? Once. You know what John's saying? I am thrilled. 
I rejoiced greatly to find, again, whether it's a church that's, it's talking about the disciples that had been saved through the ministry of this church and trained, or a lady that has trained her children to walk like, like Timothy's mother and grandmother. Paul makes a huge deal of the unfeigned faith that was in Eunice and Lois and Timothy. Three generations of people who didn't just pretend to believe, but their walk demonstrated they were true believers. And John is commending the same thing here. I rejoice greatly when I found of thy children walking in truth. Today, if you challenge anyone who claims to be a Christian, and I, that's a very broad term I just used, but in the, in the culture of so-called Christianity that what has become popular in America, if you challenge the way somebody's carrying out their life that seems to be inconsistent with their profession, Someone blows the whistle and cries foul and says, no, all that matters is that you believe. It doesn't matter how you behave. God is so abundant in grace. Well, of course he's abundant in grace. But John says, here's what I rejoiced in, when I saw the profession of truth in practice. Walk is not profession. Walk is practice. When we say when we, say we believe one thing and we behave another way, I believe the Christian is to be holy. And then we listen to music that glorifies immorality, drunkenness, uh, unfaithfulness, cheating, stealing, and say, but oh, but I, I, oh, I, I hear it all the time. People who advocate the, the, <laughs> the Christian radio, they come on with rock and roll music and then give a whole, a whole session on holiness. And I go, what? Nothing about rock and roll has anything to do with holiness. So when we're sounding like the rock and roll culture and preaching holiness like it's found in the Bible, it makes me go, that is so confusing. Either join the world and live like the devil or join God and live like Christ, but this in-between stuff is confusing. Amen? And that's Satan's goal. John says, here's what I'm going to commend you for. You, your children. By the way, parents, what's a greater compliment than for someone to say your children are doing well? He's not only commending the children... He's commending, Mama, you've done a tremendous job and that your children are living lives in accordance with the truth. They are not living deceitful, hypocritical, double-minded lives. They're walking in truth. And so that's what he rejoiced greatly over. He doesn't say, I rejoice greatly that your children gave me a big offering. I rejoice greatly that they think I'm the greatest preacher since Jesus. You know what he rejoiced in? They're living consistent Christian lives. I know if, if, if you're a truly God-called pastor, there's nothing that will bring you more joy than that in God's people. Seeing people that take the truth and then act on it. And there's nothing that causes you more distress than people that know the truth and won't obey it. Nothing. Nothing brings greater joy and nothing brings greater sorrow than people saying this is the truth, but my actions are not going to conform to that because then it would make it look like I've not been obeying the truth or whatever reason it may be. And so then the source of his rejoicing is, is the fact he was delighted over consistent living in the next generation of Christians. You know what that tells me? That this elect lady had fulfilled the Great Commission. What's the Great Commission? Teach them about the gospel, see them baptized, and teach them to do what? Observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And he says that's what they're doing. They're living and walking according to the truth. And so then the fruit, by the way, how do we know false prophets and how, uh, according to Matthew 7? You shall know them by their fruits. He doesn't say you shall know them by their personality. He doesn't even say you'll know them by their content. They are wolves in what kind of clothing? Sheep's clothing. 
when I see ministries today and preaching ministries and teaching ministries today that create a greater um, tolerance for evil and a lesser tolerance for truth, you can mark it down, that is not of God. Amen? It, it cannot be. It cannot be because by their fruits ye shall know them. And so then I believe John is beginning to lay that groundwork. I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth as we have received the commandment from the Father. He said, God the Father has given us all a commandment and I found your children walking according to his commands. He's commending their obedience to the heavenly Father. He's referencing the family unit again as he had in 1 John. Let's look at our, our fourth point here. We'll touch on it and then we'll conclude tonight. Verses 5 and 6, he's going to give some words of command. So he's giving words of confirmation, verses 1 and 2. Words of consolation, verse 3. Words of commendation, verse 4. And then, in verse 5 and 6, he's going to give words of command. I thought about this today and wrote some, jotted down some thoughts on it. How many of you have ever heard somebody say something like this? You need to do whatever Jesus asks you to do. And it sounds so harmless. Children, you need to do what your parents ask you to do. This has become part of our new vernacular. We've we've veered away from words like command, thou shalt, or thou shalt not. Parents don't tell their children. They don't command their children. They ask them. They they request. How many know that words have meanings, therefore words do matter? There's a preacher that says all the time. It's so true. Words have meaning, therefore words matter. How many know that command and request are two different words? How many know that it is not Jesus' role to request anything of us? It's his role to command us. I know people that any time the tone becomes authoritative, they bristle. If it's an authoritative instruction, I'm talking about from God. And if it's channeled through a human being, even more so. If it's authoritative, there's a bristling. And that's a problem. John does not say, and now I beseech thee, lady. Here's how it might read in our modern vernacular, if you would. I rejoice greatly that I found thy children walking in truth as we have received a request from the Father. He doesn't ask. No, a commandment. By the way, I looked that up today, and I didn't write it down in front of me. The word command has to do with an authoritative instruction given from an authority. Something that is binding. Something that is requisite upon us. A requirement from an authority. Whereas a request is a petition asking for something. Uh, desiring is the expression of one's desire from another human being by petition. That's what prayer is. Do you realize God does not pray to us? He doesn't pray to us. We pray to Him. He commands us. So He says, I'm encouraged that your children recognize the authority of the Heavenly Father and walk their lives in accordance with what He says. Then verse 5, And now I beseech thee, lady... Not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee. So what I'm about to beseech you is something I've said before. It's something you already know. I'm not giving you a new commandment. He says, and now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk after his commandments. This is the commandment that as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. He almost sounds like he's repetitive. You know why? Because he is. How many know that the command to love God will have a different application 10 years in your, today from your, in your life than it does today? It's the same command. Same command. It's always equally applicable. But the application of it is going to take on a different face based on the circumstances you're in. 
And what he's saying is, from the, from the beginning, I believe means from the beginning of you believing the truth. The moment you believe the truth, you were given a commandment to love God. And the way you were to love God is to keep His commandments. You were given a commandment to love one another. That's what you were told from the very beginning. From the moment you got saved, you were taught of God to love one another, right? He says, all I'm doing is repeating the same thing you already know. By the way, if we get distressed, Brother Turk touched on this when he was here, or Brother, or Brother Hensley, one or both. If we get distressed over hearing the same things over and over again, we need to take some, we need to check ourselves and say, why? Because there are times that the Bible is extremely repetitive. How many times does John and his writings alone remind us to love one another and then define for us what that is? He's going to do it here again. He says, I'm not giving you a new commandment. I'm being repetitive with you. Even in the two verses, he's repetitive. What's the commandment? That you keep the commandment that you've had from the beginning. I'm going to beseech you. What are you going to beseech me? What is it? Something new? No, the same thing you've always known. And so what can happen is, and then he's going to go right into, and here's why I'm giving you this commandment again, because many deceivers. Meaning there's people coming along, and they're going to tell you that you, they're going to give you new light. They're going to show you that the Christian life is different than it was taught to you by those who led you to the Lord. I'm going to news for you. We, we are seeing among independent Baptist churches, left and right, people throwing criticism at those who train them up in the things of the Lord. Well, they didn't do this right, and they didn't do that right. I'm going to tell you what it is, where most of them, I hear a message that is more appealing to me, and therefore I'm going to reject what I was taught from the beginning, and I'm going to, I'm going to have a different view of what Christianity is than what I knew it to be, and it's contemporary Christianity, or whatever label you want to put on it. And John says, no, you don't need the new the new doctrines that the deceivers are bringing, you need the same thing you already know. How many times we don't need something... Look, you and I don't need something new if we're not fully applying what we already know. And sometimes we are fully applying what we know, like these people. Were they walking in truth? But John says, but I need to remind you what what your job is. I'm going to beseech you. Beseech is a strong word. I'm going to beseech you that the commandment you had from the beginning that you needed as much today as ever you did before. So I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And then verse 6, And this is love, that we walk after his commandments. Now, is he talking about this is how we love God, or this is how we love each other? The answer is yes. Look at First John chapter 5. We're going to reiterate this. 1 John chapter 5. If I asked you tonight, how do you demonstrate love? If you could apply one commandment in your life that would allow you to love people like you should, what's the recipe? I mean, what one thing would enable you to always be loving to people? I mean, you need to take a psychology class or what? No, you just need to obey God. I mean, that really is it. Let me ask something. In a, in, a, in a home where mom and dad both are saved, both love the Lord, and they love the children, who's going to do better at, at those kids knowing how to love each other? Them on their own or just by obeying mom and dad? By simply obeying mom and dad. Any parents want their kids to love each other. You want the siblings to love each other. And if the siblings will obey the instructions mom and dad give, it'll happen. But the moment a sibling or two decides, you know what? We don't like mom and dad's rules around here. You know what they start doing? 
dividing the home. It's truth. You get a sibling that says, you know what, mom and dad are overbearing. The mom and dad's rules are too restrictive. Mom and dad's rules are unjust and unfair. They're always picking on me. By the way, the poor rebellious people in the world, the most picked on class of people you ever know. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a, you never, there's a self-pity because they're always singled out, always picked on. Look, it reminds me of Ahab. Ahab says of, um, uh, of the great prophet, I can't remember his name at the moment. You have to help me here. Somebody help me. The prophet that came and prophesied to him and told him he shouldn't go to battle. What's that? Not Elijah. No. Micaiah, thank you. My mind went blank. He says he always speaks evil of me. I wonder why. If he ever did anything right, he wouldn't speak evil of you. Isn't that the truth? Did Micaiah always speak evil of Ahab? Yes, because Ahab gave himself to do what was evil. Uh, Back on track here, what John's saying to them is this. He says, here's what love is. It's very simple. Obey God. Obey his commandments. 1 John chapter 5, verses 2 and 3. By this know we that we love the children of God. How do you know when you love God's children? When we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. So just so we understand tonight, when the world, the unbelieving world preaches love, how do they say you express love to one another? Help me out here now. I need some feedback. How does the world tell us that we express love for each other? Do nice things. Well, that's fine. Okay. What did I hear? No matter what. Unconditional love says, I accept you as you are and you need make no changes in your life ever. Ever. John says, no. Unconditional love, from God's perspective, is always obeying God. And that is so clear. John 14, 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. Here's what happens. People want us, and Satan is behind this, want us to divert our love from God to someone or something else. The only person that should get from us unconditional loyalty without ever requiring any change is God. He's the only one we should accept like that. Not even ourselves. Amen? We're supposed to deny ourselves. And what happens is a man says, give me what you're supposed to give God. Unconditional loyalty. There's no human on earth worthy of that including the one preaching to you. No human is worthy of unconditional loyal and acceptance, loyalty and acceptance. Only God, and that's the truth. And what John says is if you... we got to make sure that in truth we define love because you're going to have people coming in saying, you're not loving because you don't accept us. No, we don't have the same view that you do of Jesus, but if you loved us, you would accept us. John says, no, if you love them, you'll obey God. Amen? And so then he reminds them through repetition that love is obedience to God. Love for God is obedience to God. And you love people the same way you love God by obeying God. You can't, I do not believe it is possible to overemphasize the significance of obedience to God. There are people who say, oh, all we ever hear from preachers is submit and obey because he's God. It takes obedience to believe the gospel. And so... Uh, verse 6 of Second John. We, we've seen 
Words of confirmation, verses 1 and 2. Words of consolation, verse 3. Words of commendation, verse 4. And words of commandment, verse 5. Now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we've had from the beginning, that we love one another. Verse 6. And this is love, that we walk after his commandments. This is the commandment. This is what I'm beseeching you. That, as ye have heard from the beginning, ye should walk in it. He said, what I'm saying to you is exactly what I taught you from the very, very beginning is what I'm telling you again. You walk in obedience to God. That is your ultimate goal. And no matter what anybody comes in saying, obedience to God is what you need to do because love is obeying God. Don't you like this? Um, How many of you like um, in algebra you have variables? And so you have 32x equals whatever. Well, you have some idea of what that means. You know what I like? I like this. One half equals four eighths. I can understand that. When you have, you know, pi and it's never ending on the right side of the thing, it's a little hard to define, is it not? I like very clear, definable, simple terms. Two plus two equals sign four. God is so kind to us to say, love equals obey God. That's it. Love God by obeying him. Love each other by obeying him. If I have a philosophy of love in my mind that opens my mind to disobedience to God, I am under the influence of a deceiver somewhere. It may be the person I look at in the mirror. It may be the person I listen to on the radio. It may be the person I'm reading after. I don't know where it's coming from, but I know this. If my concept of love allows disobedience, willful disregard to and disobedience to God, it is not love. John says we need to define terms. I love you in the truth. You love me in the truth. It's the truth that enables us to love. And once love requires deceit, it's no longer love. If love requires disobedience, it's no longer love. Friend, we need this today as much as any generation needed it. Because the world's telling us, no, no, here's love. You accept with open arms anyone, everybody. I'm going to close here in a minute. How many ever, and this is a pet peeve of mine. How many ever hear something like this? We're supposed to say at church, everyone welcome. Everyone welcome. You know, that's actually not true. (gasps) Anyone is welcome to visit here. But not anyone's welcome to be part of this church. The Bible says, if any man love not our Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema maranatha, accursed. What? That's not loving. Absolutely it's loving. What happens if a person dies not loving the Lord Jesus Christ, not trusting him? They're going to hell. That's the truth. So it's not loving to pretend that they're on their way to heaven and make... By the way, you know what happens? If we, if we knowledgeably receive people into the fellowship of this church knowing they're lost, you know what we've done? We've given them one more reason to think they're saved when they're lost. And that is not love. Amen. So tonight, may we understand, love is obeying God. So we've heard that before. Of course we have. From the first time. You know what? You know why, do you know why I got baptized? Because I love the Lord for saving me. It was little love, tiny love. But that's why I did it. He loved me enough to die for me. I love him enough to get dunked underwater to show that I believe in him. And so on and so forth. Have we not heard it from the beginning? We obey him because we love him. Because he loved us first.